ask you to go ahead and turn with me, if you would please, to Genesis chapter 2. We will be in verses 18 through 25. And I want to start with saying some things that we've already covered a few weeks back, uh, just for some points of clarification and to get us going here in the rest of chapter 2. What we've been looking at as we look at these first two chapters is we have seen the majesty, the beauty of God's creation, perfection, harmony, unity, no trial, no tear, no torment, no miscommunication, no lying, no cheating, no pain, no bitterness, no frustration, no sickness, no death. That's what we have here in the garden. Right, and, it, and we need to remind ourselves of that. Now, that's all coming in chapter 3. But we cannot, as we have said previously, we cannot understand the depths of destruction, the fatal loss. We cannot understand uh, the failure that plunges humanity into the depths of despair without first understanding the purpose given to us here in chapter 2. Right? In chapter 1, it was Elohim creates. But then in chapter 2, it was a shift to Yahweh Elohim's design and purpose for humankind. We saw it in more detail. And the Yahweh Elohim indicated something where God was trying to communicate through Moses as he writes this down, that he is their covenant God, that he is a God that is in relationship with him and that he designed them with a purpose. Okay, and so he's trying by changing the name We see that switch there in verse 4 to Yahweh Elohim. And so we broke the chapter 2 into three sections. The first that we've covered is that the Lord God set man apart. And how did he do that? He says it awesome, the breath of life. With the breath of life. Man, what an important thing for us to, to meditate on and think about. The breath of life. And we talked about that, how that unique and set apart and then he put man to work and now three as we look at 18 through 25 we see that God equipped man with a helper to fulfill his calling so if you've not already turned to Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 go ahead and do so now and I'll begin reading 18 through 25 then the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper corresponding to him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And I love this, that that we see it here, that, uh, that God certainly has a right to be kind of a micromanager. You know what I'm talking about? That oppressive boss so to speak you just can't we know already right what to do but but we just don't see that with God here he 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 has every right of course God has every right to tell Adam we'll do it this way and name it this but there we see right there and this isn't even one of my points really except that I just noticed it when I read it that here we have God bringing the animals and it says whatever the man called a living creature that was its name Isn't that cool? What's up to Adam? He gave him a work. We saw in verse 15. He said, work the garden. And what did he expect? 
expected him to do the work. God didn't do it for him. He expected him to do that. I think that's worth taking away. The man gave, and so it says, verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. In this section, we see God's complete, he, he completes his design right, for humanity. It's clear that his work was not completed until he created woman. In the creation account thus far, one thing we have highlighted is that God did not, and if you haven't written this down, I encourage you to do so, and it's something that we ought to meditate. I think it's helpful, I know it's helpful for me, but that God did not create a category of humans that do not owe their allegiance to Him. God did not create a category of humans that do not owe their allegiance to Him. And that is helpful when I think about my role as being one of his vice regents, as we talked about, one of his, his ruling image bearers. That is what we are as humans, okay? That we are put here to be ambassadors for his name, for his fame, for his glory, right? And, and so it's helpful for me to remind myself that when I come across another human, it's right and appropriate for me to call them to the same things that God has called us two, right? Because he is their creator just as much as he is our creator. So we've got to get the word out, right? And so I'm not bringing, uh, you know, I guess you can show up in kind of our culture is, is where you can find yourself in a discussion where you begin to talk to somebody about God and, and you are made to feel as if, well, that is nice truth for you and your family, right? But, but that isn't really what I'm I'm not really working off of that system, if you know what I mean. And so thanks, but no thanks. And we're just like all too quick, I think, sometimes be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you're right, it is. the truth. And it's like, no, 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 no. We need to push back against that madness because they need to understand, no, no, no you, you maybe didn't hear me right, right? This isn't, uh, th- this is a one size fits all in terms of the truth, right? It doesn't transition from one household to another household. Right? God's word is, is, is relevant right? across cultures. God's word and his design is, is, is relevant across countries, across time. Right? And certainly it's relevant from, from one home to another home. Right? And it doesn't change. And so I just think it, it's helpful for me in terms of, of my boldness and my understanding that it, it's right for us to recognize that God didn't create a special category of humans that do not owe their allegiance to him. Now, whether we'll end up giving it to him or not, that's between them and the Lord, but it is our duty 
right? And responsibility to call their attention to that and to make our appeal with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this point in human history, Adam and Eve are not confused about who they are and their purpose, okay? Well, you're like, of course not. It's really early, right? Okay, well, yes. They're image bearers. They're clear about that. Reflecting the glory of the Lord, actively serving as his representatives, not just physical service, but the spiritual service. Why they have that breath of life? We said that that term, that, that he breathed this breath of life, and that that is not used of animals, right? We talked about that is unique, that these two humans are, are set apart with a unique relationship with the Lord. And so as a result of that, they are loving like we see in Psalm 119, the result of that, they are loving the commands of God. Why? Well, we, and we saw it here in chapter 2, verse 15, verse 15 and 16 and 17, where Adam is given some direction and command from the Lord. And he is loving that direction. He is loving those commands. Why? Because, and why should we? And why does the psalmist there in 119, he's like all about it, right? You read Psalm 119, it's huge. It's, it's really long. Try to memorize it, right? We'll give you a sticker or something if you do. It'd be awesome. That'd be an awesome sticker, all right? But, but man, it'd be worth it. You, you look at Psalm 119 and again and again, and you see the psalmist just calling out how much he loves and delights himself in the word of the Lord and how much he feeds on the word of of the Lord. He's loving the commands. Why? Because. And why should we? Because they direct us in the work that the Lord puts in front of us. Right? Because as his creation, what we want to embrace and what we want to let others know so that they too can embrace is that as his creation, the highest privilege we have is to worship and serve him in the way that he calls us to. And we get to know that. We get to figure that out by not letting this gather dust. You know what I'm saying? And so we're like looking to get up in the morning so we can once again start off with hearing from the Lord because he speaks to us through his word actively. And so it is the highest privilege that we have. It's the highest privilege that we have is to, to worship him. And so we love that he's written, written some things down for us and directed us on how to do that, how to accomplish that. We can reference a few other verses like Colossians 3.17. There God says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then again in 1 Corinthians 10.31, God tells us there, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for what? For the glory of God. And why am I mentioning all this sort of as, as a, a prep? We have to get our mindset before we jump into this section of Scripture that, that we see all kinds of things that will, will come out of this section of Scripture that we may not even get to today. But what, one of the things we have to understand here is that, that our purpose for living is to bring glory to God. It's the chief end of man, Right? And, and, we, and as we begin to understand that even Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says whether you eat or drink, 
or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, as we understand those things, that takes our living here on this earth to a whole nother level. You, you see what? Because in this vision, in this purpose for humanity, what we see in what the, what the New Testament is saying and what Genesis 1 and 2 are, are getting at right away from the very beginning is that there is a vision and a purpose for humanity that says there is significance, right, that is assigned to each breath that you take in this life. Amen? And we can't get more excited about that, right? Wow, really, God? I can wash dishes in a way that brings you glory? Yep. You mean I can chug myself a cold, ice cold soda? All right. Right? For your glory? Yes. Amen. That's right. But we miss the significance, y'all. We miss the significance of this when we distort or are confused about our purpose. And it's here in verse 18, 25. What an appropriate, Quint, song for us to sing and words that you prayed for us, Quint. As we think of all the things that are distorted just right here in this text, in these verses, in our culture right now. And, and honestly, we're not going to get them to get to all of them. And, but when we go, as we go through Genesis, we're going to see and have to deal with some of these things. We see that after the fall happens, God's design for men and women and for marriage and on and on is regularly perverted. Right? And we'll see that as we study Genesis. We see that as we look out in, in our own culture. That God's design is often unrecognizable from his original blueprint, isn't it? In 18 through 25, we see God equips man with a helper to fulfill his calling, that right there already bothers people. This passage helps us see many things, and so we'll just take the following points or attempt to. One, if you're taking, uh, you'll see these points on the back of your bulletin. If you're taking notes, you can turn there. That man is incomplete without woman. Uh, God created man and woman differently. Marriage belongs to God. So one, man was incomplete without woman. Hey, women, it's okay for you to say amen to that. Amen. All right? Man's incomplete without woman. All right? Now, that, that, that is one that many, many feminists have, they don't have trouble with that one. Right? That's it. They get behind that one. Right? A man needs woman. Amen? That's, what we're, that's where we're at. Of course, that's true. But notice here. We'll talk about that. Everything was good up until this point of the creation account. Verse 18, look there. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. We'll deal with that in a second. But first, it is not good, he says, for the man to be alone. And this was the first time God was evaluating. He evaluated his creation several times. But this is the first time God is evaluating his creation and says it's not good. The other times he said it's good. This is the first time he said it's not good. And, and what is his answer to the not good situation? Is it to make for him another male? No, and I'm not trying to be cute, all right? I mean, that's a real legitimate question. Is it for him to make for Adam another male? 
No, he creates a woman. And that is intended to be instructive. You see, another male would not bring anything different to the table. Another male could have been a good companion on some level. Right? I have many guys I'm very close with that, that I'm so thankful that God has, has given them and put them into my life. And we are, we are brothers. We have a, a good companionship, right? But, but not the type of companion that God had in mind here we see. And if we evaluate and, and look at Adam and Eve, we see certainly there are similarities between them. But the differences, and this is what I want to highlight, so I'm going to talk about differences again and again and again. All right? But the differences serve as strengths to the other. Okay? Completing the incompleteness of the man, moving the creation account where God evaluates and says, not good, to where he is then able to say, good, right? And so the difference is we can also say that they attract them to each other. You could imagine Adam saying, I'm drawn to the parts of your body that are different than mine, says Adam to Eve. You are unique and beautiful. And so there is a physical attraction that draws them together. Verse 20, you say, where do you get that? Look at verse 24 and 25. I think it highlights this. They become one flesh. Speaking of sexual intimacy, being naked together, it says, and feeling no shame. Separate, man is incomplete. Together, they are a unique match. Adam, Eve, both humans both made in the image of God, both have the same nature. Where do we get that? Well, Adam says, verse 23, see there in his little poetry, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But again, there's also some unique differences. Differences, and listen to this, maybe try to write it down, differences we have between the male and the female, between the husband and the wife, differences that call forth the mutual and complementary purposes that God has embedded into our design as male and female. Did you hear that? Because I think that is really important. Be, you know, and we can write it down, you can meditate on that, you can have that sort of in front of you to recognize, you know, it, it, it's like a, a laying the groundwork to help you interpret all the craziness that comes in from the outside that tries to undermine this truth. Let me say it again. These differences call forth the mutual and complementary purposes that God has purposely embedded into our design as male and female. See, what we see in the text from this not good evaluation by God is that Adam, hear it, was lacking something. And God's response to that lacking was to supply him Eve, not Steve. Right? Now, you've heard that before. That, that's, that's become a joke, but it's true. Right? It's true. Another male would not have brought forth what was lacking in Adam. Hear it, hear it. What Adam lacked, men, please hear this. What Adam lacked, Eve supplied. 
Adam wasn't complete without Eve. In fact, until Eve came along, God said it ain't good. And what is the reason that God gives for it not being good? It says there, because Adam was alone and did not have a corresponding helper, a helper that matched him in a specific way. When we think of where Adam was. Adam is there working alone, working and watching over the garden, eating and naming the animals. And God saw Adam's solitude. And you got to believe Adam felt it. Alone, Adam could not accomplish God's purpose for the newly created earth. Adam was incomplete, working in solitude in this beautiful garden, this beautiful place. I wonder, as I think about that, uh, why God made Adam and Eve at different times in the day, right? Think of it. Why did he do that? Why not make them both at the same time? Why let Adam name so many animals and do a bunch of work, right? And as you see there, he looks around creation in verse 20. Look at that. He apparently sees there is no helper corresponding to him, it says. So why not make them... At the same time, Adam's naming all these animals. He's getting taught. Wait a second. Okay. Starts to feel a little lonely. Everybody seems to have a friend but him. I think in that time before Eve was created, Adam had a realization of his need. Okay. I think that was purposeful. Right? Of course, God is purposeful. But Adam had a realization of his need. And the desire began to stir in his heart. And the, the, the need and the desire, like it does often in us, did not turn sinful. But just an awareness that something was missing. And Adam began to have that sense. And so I think uh, God purposely brought Adam to that point. God wanted him to experience that moment. And, and once Adam came to that place, then what did God do? God met the need. And caused Adam to say there in verse twenty caused Adam to go into, 21, to go into a deep sleep. And God took one of his ribs out of his side, right? And he closed the flesh behind it, right? Then the Lord God took that rib and he made a woman. And then he brought the woman to Adam. Verse 22. What was incomplete in the creation account in that moment became, became complete. Women, woman taken from the side of the man to complete man. You see, Adam could not accomplish the work God put in front of him without Eve. It was not good for Adam to be alone because God's plan for humanity could not be accomplished without a suitable helper. And a suitable helper was one of his kind in terms of human nature, but she complimented him and completed him because of her many differences as a female. I fought a lot with my spouse early on in our marriage. We still fight. You know why? It's not as bad as it was. But early on, the reason we fought so much is because in my stupidity, I was so easily irritated and bothered by her differences. 
I celebrated our gender differences on the physical level, but I did not take time to study and learn her. Because you see, our differences are not just skin deep. They're more than that. From the physical differences all the way down to the soul of a woman and and the soul of a man, God has embedded differences in us. (laughs) Differences that we should not be threatened by but differences that we should explore, learn, celebrate. That's what Adam does. I think you see it as he he studies his new wife, Eve. In verse 23, we see that he was quick to celebrate both her uh, equality with him and her unique differences. Right? See the equality. This one is bone. She's just like me. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. But then he says... Well, there's some unique differences as well, and he embraces her. And, na- and you say, well, how do you know? He, he, well, he clearly even names her different than he names himself. He sees it, which rolls us into our second point. God created men and women differently or with different roles. See, the Bible teaches that before sin ever entered into the world, before sin ever entered into the heart and mind of humans, <laughs> A woman was made with a specific role and and function, and so was the man. And we see that on display here pre-fall. And that's significant because often what people say is that when we talk about there being differences in the role within a marriage, right? When we talk about that, people say, well, that's because of the... The Bible talks about that because of the fall. But that's not God's design. He wants... He, he wants to see men and women have equal roles. But no, that's not how God sets it up, right? Men and women don't have equal roles. They have different roles, right? There is not sameness in roles. And, and, and we see that here even pre-fall in this creation account where uh, Eve is called Adam's helper. And we should ask, Do we see this role as helper? Do you see this role as helper when you read that as second class? This is the important question. Right? Because I think when we look here, Adam did not see his helper, Eve, as a second class member of creation. Listen up, please, guys. He says, look at the look at the look what he says when he meets her. It's clear he didn't see her as second-class member, right? Look at what he says. This one at last, right? The brother had not even gone a whole day without this woman, all right? But he was working, all right, out naming the animals and tending to the garden, and then God brought Eve to him. When God brought Eve to him, hear it, Adam did not think, here is someone, hear that, This is really important. When God brought Eve to Adam, right? Adam did not think, oh, this one, here is someone who will do what I say. He didn't think that. Here is someone who will serve me hand over fist. Ah! Thanks, God. Fist bump, right? 
Here is someone that will cater to my every beck and call. This helper, you see, was not a demeaning role at all. It was not a less than role. It was not an undignified role. This poetry that we see, Adam said, this one at last. There is an affection, I think even an esteeming there. And I think as a result, there is a, there is a challenge to us men. Are we living before our wives? Hear it. Are we living before our wives and towards our wives in a way that will cause our daughters, if we have any, to despise God's design? Or are our daughters saying, oh, how I hope to meet a man like daddy? Right? If, if, if our daughters' hearts desire marriage, is their attitude, oh, to be a helper to a man it would be such an enriching and freeing and exciting opportunity. Some of you maybe want to laugh at that question, but I think that's indicative of what our culture has done with this role, right? We have let it define it. We have let it demean it. And I think, too, even within the church, we have seen men who claim the name of Christ by the way they treat their helper, essentially giving culture permission to demean this role. You see, in our defined roles that God has given, it's important for us to ask the question, in our defined roles that God has given, uniquely defined, different from man to woman, in those defined roles that God has given, do, do the people around us, do our kids see a mutuality that is an each-for-the-other mentality? Do they see that? Right. Do they see that, that, that there is a mutuality, right? That is seen as an each for the other mentality that causes them, because it will, that causes them to stand in awe of this team that God has put together. And, and when, when we begin to see that and showcase that as we begin to, to exercise our roles the way God has ordained us to it is in this idea of, of submission and helper that those kind of terms can actually be exciting and freeing. And I know in the flesh that we cringe and resist at that. But men, we've got to ask, is our portrayal of our wife's position in the home esteeming her? Thereby honoring God. Because that's what it would do. Or... Is it dehumanizing her, thereby making a mockery of God? And you might say, how does mistreating the help dehumanize? Well, she has inherent dignity and worth and value, as we've already said, that, that has been predetermined by God. There is dignity in her personhood and dignity in the role that God has given so when she is not esteemed or honored for her position in the home, that dehumanizes her because it devalues the human God created her to be, thereby making a mockery of the God who created her. And so we've got to ask, again, is our portrayal of our wife's position in the home esteeming her, thereby honoring God, 
or is it dehumanizing her, thereby making a mockery of God? And part of the answer is also rooted in the fact that God himself is defined as our help, right? Hmm. You see, if we study the term helper, we will quickly see in Scripture that this term is a term used of God himself as he is described as our helper. And why do we need a helper? Why do you need a helper? Because we are lacking. We are lacking. A helper comes along to provide what is lacking. Right? And if we get that, men, if we get that, there is an immediate humility Right? There is immediate humility in the person being helped. There's, there ought to be. Sometimes there's not, right? You know that you provide a lot of help for somebody like, man, they're just ungrateful. But, but that is not the proper relationship, right? When we think of God as our helper, we're like, oh my goodness, we do not deserve this help that he is coming along and giving me. This, this support, this, like I would be lacking, I would be in such a great deficit is it what, if it wasn't for the lack of God. I would not be able to accomplish what God has put in front of me, if it wasn't for this help. And, and so we are grateful, we are thankful. It is a humble thing to be help. And so that humility ought to be highlighted, not just in a husband's words to his helper, but in the way he esteems her position, in the way he esteems the helper in his home. And that will be put on display in his treatment and attitude towards the helper. Right, for me, I think about this, and I know I would not have uh, made it through a lot of things in my life without my wife. I would not be a pastor, I know that for certain. And to the degree that I do my job well, it is because of her. I sin less because of her. I have major deficiencies, but she provides what is lacking. But not just because she is more righteous in areas that I'm not. There are things that I am lacking as a man that she is not lacking because she is a woman. You hear that? And as I try to be the man that God is calling me to be, and as she tries to be the woman that God is calling her to be, we will complement each other more fully. And these differences that unify us will become more and more clear. Right. And that takes some study. Okay, so we gotta, we gotta, man, we have to enter into that phase of where we see that he clear. I mean, he, he looked at her enough and studied her enough to, to write a, a poem more beautiful than any poem I've ever written to my wife, okay? And he writes this out. He calls this out to her. And clear that he has studied her. And that studying of our spouses does not stop. Right? And as we study, we will learn more and more of the differences that God has built in and embedded in to this woman that we've, that we've married. 
And we'll see how, how when, as those differences are highlighted, they don't pretend become potential points of, of conflict. Now, that is certainly how the oppressor, I think, tries to use them as points of conflict, but that is not how the Christian is, is to see these differences. They are, we are to embrace these differences. We are to celebrate these differences. Hmm. When we think about gender differences uh, and gender roles, that is where we really start to see, even within the church, people go separate ways. But sadly, much of these differences and these arguments, at least in the terms of the way they're being interpreted and responding to, often go against God's design. Um, we give some examples. Uh, if we take, for example, strength, just physical strength, and this is just to, to try to make an obvious point that I think many of us already know. Uh, but if you take strength, God made the male gender to be stronger than the female gender. Right? There's a difference there. Uh, now there are some women who work out and are much stronger than some men. But that's not a normal thing. Right? So we can go back and forth about that. But so we are comparing apples to apples uh, take the top female weightlifter and the top male weightlifter, right? And the male is lifting 284 more pounds than the female, just for some perspective. Male and females are made differently. God's designed it that way. And then he allowed us in his common grace right now to even be able to look around and discern with our eyes and to study with our eyes to use science. And we can see that God, in fact, did make men and women differently. And it's a beautiful thing. And church, we want to embrace that. We think of other differences, things men can't do. Men can't have a baby. And that means that God has decided that it is the woman's body that experiences the miracle of life within her own womb. The making of a living soul, another living soul, another amb potential ambassador for the kingdom of God. Inside the womb of a woman, a soul that will go on to live eternally. You believe that? My goodness. And man, now they get to participate on some level, but it's the woman that has the unique privilege of bearing that child. And so much of a privilege, we see the Apostle Paul talk about it in 1 Timothy 2.15, where it says the woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and holiness with, with good sense. And say, well, that introduces all kinds of problems. Why did you use that one? I'm not sure. Should have used something else, especially for time. But we could say this is not saying that a woman merits salvation through giving birth to a child, okay? It's simply, Paul there is simply connecting good works with salvation, not that good works save, okay, to be clear, but all over Scripture it is clear that those who are saved will do good works. And so saying that childbirth, 
Paul saying that childbirth is a very unique and righteous, holy work set apart for who only? Women. And so Paul is using childbearing as a reference point that sets men and women apart. It's a universal example of a God-given difference. The domestic role of the woman has all kinds of differences we see but it's put most fully on display in the act of childbearing. Our roles, then, are to be fully embraced, men and women. You see, we are not made, and hear this, from even at the youth age, like even when you're not married, right? Like, like men and women, we, we aren't created to be in competition with one another. We're not, like this isn't trying to make an argument, who's stronger, who's smarter. That's not what I'm trying to introduce here. This is not an argument for male superiority, and we also don't want to swing the other way and get into an argument for, for uh, female superiority. It's all garbage, right? We embrace our differences as designed and purpose in us by God, and we celebrate those. And so it's about submitting to God and and. and studying his word and praying about these things because it's not always clear and and, and and as you get into the details and how you might interact even in your own home with your with your husband with your wife and and so we're, we're praying and we're saying Lord we want to submit to your design we recognize that we are created differently we recognize that you've given me a specific role as a man we recognize that you've given me as a specific role as a woman and and I want to fully enjoy the fruit of coming under that design that you have prescribed to me because in doing that I will serve to give testimony to your awesome and good and faithful work in this creation and and i want people to be attracted to that male and female are made different god's word teaches us that we live in a culture that has gone beyond running from our role to running our role in the home right so it's gone beyond that uh, to running from our assigned sex Right? You guys familiar with this? It's been around a little bit. Uh, this is known as transgenderism, a desire to escape what one might feel as a limitation of their assigned sex at birth. Right? And, and if we, as the church, say, man, we've got to speak into that, we've got to correct the record on that, the reality is that if we dare to speak against it, what are we? We are considered very quickly uh, bigoted oppressors as Christians. However, here's what we need to take away. A lot could be said, and as we get into Genesis, we'll probably have times where we get to speak to this more clearly. But the reality is, just for now, that if we fail to speak to this, we participate as oppressors in Satan's scheme to wreak havoc on God's design. And so we've got to think through, as a church, what does it look like for us to embrace God's design and, and also stand against uh, the, the, these things like, like transgenderism and, and same-sex marriage. And, and we don't even like to say stand against, do we? Because we're, we're, on the one sense I get it because we're like, well, we're standing for God's purposes. But, but by default, it requires us to stand opposed and against. And, 
And we want to be gentle and careful in that because people have been duped into thinking that this is where they must land. And they've been sort of given permission even by our culture and oftentimes even the church. And so we've got to be patient as we try to point people to the truth in hope of compelling them to see God's purposes for them as male or for them as female. But we've got, we can't just ignore it, right? We know that's not the answer because it just keeps spinning out of control. And so the church has got to be one that rises up and say, hey, there is a better way. There's God's way. And he has designed so much more for you. And we want to get that message out there. It is imperative that we do. Uh, in marriage, understanding our role brings a unique intimacy. Misunderstanding, we know, brings pain and heartache. The differences are highlighted throughout Scripture, and they are inherently good. Right? There is an intimacy that is embedded into the fabric of God's design of male and female and husband, wife. And these differences ought to be celebrated. We want to come to a place, right, where as we see even here in the text, where Adam, he is celebrating her, and Eve, she celebrates him is that how your home looks this morning husbands and wives right are you celebrating her men does he does she feel that you are celebrating her are you just trying to convince her that that's what you're doing oh there's a big difference right are you celebrating her and females we have to ask you are you celebrating him You see, she was not made to compete for the role God had given him, and he was not made to lord over and take advantage of the role God had given her. And he is not so enamored with her that he begins to try to be her, neither is she not so offended by his strength and leadership that she begins to try to be him. He is not belittling her role as helper, and she is not trying to overpower him as leader. And all this is possible, of course, not in the flesh, but in Christ. And so we see in the last verses here, that is why a man leaves his father and mother right after the poem there that he writes. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. Both the man and the wife were naked and felt no shame. It's important that as we think of God's design, He's clearly outlined it for us here in this text. And in our culture all over the place has gone against God's design, whether it be for gender and whether it be for marriage. And, and we see that. Uh, we see that all over the place. We see uh, even within the church, that people are making allowances for same-sex marriage, right? And I just want to say that as a church, we don't and we shouldn't feel the freedom to say, well, for us as a church, marriage is between a man and a woman, and for you, well, well, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't advise it, but see, here's the answer we're not trying to give. Well, for, for, well I wouldn't advise it, and I guess you can do as you please, And so, you know, let's call it civil unions. 
I can't remember, maybe it's dangerous to say, but I feel like it was George Bush that was trying to come up with that one for us in order to save marriage. I'll have to look back at that, so don't hold me or get mad at me about that right now. Wait for it. So we started to say, well, it's okay. We'll just call them civil unions and not marriage. Well, what else is a marriage, right? And, and, and so here I think that it's false. It's false for us to think that we can give right, people permission to redefine marriage. Marriage is not theirs. And you know what? Marriage is not ours. It's the Lord's idea, Right? And we're not here to represent our interest. We're not ambassadors for self and for our social agenda. We're ambassadors for the Lord. We're the Lord's representatives. And the only thing we can do, our only option, right, in the face of these kind of things is to speak out as prophets, so to speak, and represent His design. And so any position on marriage that our government or somebody might come up with, any position that goes against God's clear design for marriage, the people of God must dissent. And we need more dissenters in the church, right? We must dissent because we're His image bearers. We must not compromise either in our dissent. We see here in the text that it, there's lots of principles regarding marriage also that we want to be sure and embrace and We don't have time today to go through each one. But right there in this text, in these few short verses, we we see things uh, that that a biblical God-honoring marriage embraces. One is that it's between a male and a female. Secondly, though, we see that as you look there in the text, we see that marriage is exclusive. It It says that, and some of you are struggling here. Right, so we want to give the full picture. We're not, we can't be satisfied as the church to just say, well, it's not supposed to be male and male. Right, there's more that we have to offer. Okay, God has to offer. God's design is much more, even. And so we see, oh, you know, it's it's exclusive. Meaning, and he defines it this way, at least here, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Okay? It's not a it's, a, it's a new family has, has started. And so that's an important point that we could outline and talk about. They're leaving their parents. They start their own unique family. That's one principle. Another principle uh, that goes against our culture, certainly, is that marriage is permanent. And we can look at Matthew and other places, and we see the, the one flesh bond certainly implies, and Jesus speaks to that about that in Matthew, that this one flesh bond is, to, is intended to be there in order to, to point out this, this truth that God intended marriage to be a, a bond, to not be broken, that what God has joined together, let not man separate. The, the other important principle that we see here is that marriage is sacred say, well, how, is, how so is that? I, what do you mean? You know, and if you have a Catholic background, you might get a little bit scared. I'm saying it, that, that there's something salvific about it. That's, that's not what I mean. That would be that there's a sacramental idea to marriage. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is marriage is sacred. Why? Well, because who's there? Who's there? God is there. So marriage is what? It's It's a decision not just made between two people, but made before and under God. 
And hear this, hear this, because this might be unique for you. I would argue, and I'm about done, so hang in there. I would argue that even an atheist entering into marriage relationship is doing it, is doing so before God. It is God's design that they are taking part in. The point is that regardless of whether you acknowledge you are doing something before God, doesn't matter. It is before God whether you acknowledge it or not. And hear what I'm saying here. I think this truth needs to be embraced by us in all areas, right? (laughs) Every human is living in response to God. Now, you may not be living in a very good response to God, right? But you are living, and God sees how you're living. And are you honoring the way he set up his, his world, or are you not? You may not be living in proper response, but we are living in response. And the other principle that we see is that marriage is intimate. One flesh, sexual union, they were naked. You can hear it, hear it, because there's lots of trash on TV. It's like here where I need to like take intermission and we need to go another half hour. <laughs> but we won't, okay, because we see so much trash on TV in the pornographic industry. It's, it, it, it's, it's being funded even by men within the church, right? If they stopped, right, that porn, pornographic industry would tank. Do you know that? Do you know that? And we see that marriage is intended to be intimate, this one flesh sexual union, exclusive relationship. One person, the man is to have eyes for one woman only, the the female is to have eyes, the wife is to have eyes for one man only, that being her husband and him for his wife only. And so, and I want to hear this because you need to hear it, right? Because guys, even as you're thinking and getting glimpses of things you shouldn't probably be looking at, even the single guys in in the room, you can and you should enjoy being naked with your spouse. That's what they they were naked and felt no shame. And some of your parents are like, man, you're getting into it a little too much right now. Well, I don't think so. And we've got, to, we've got to know that, right? We've got to know that it is a good thing, right? That God designed it that way, that we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Um, and, and that way we can encourage our boys and our girls to wait on the Lord for the proper time, right? Guys, can you hear that, Right? Don't get naked with people that aren't your spouse. It's pretty simple, but we probably don't say it enough from the pulpit. Like, I'll say it again. Don't get naked with people who aren't your spouse, okay? Don't touch on the naked parts, right? And that, well, we didn't take off a shirt, or we didn't, or we didn't, whatever. Like, quit messing around. Intimacy, period, is reserved for marriage, and marriage alone, the Bible's clear about that. Another thing, I need to shut it down. The other thing that we see, as I keep talking, uh, is mutuality. And that's kind of, I, I want to say that one because, because we've got to come back, because we kind of mentioned that throughout, that marriage is mutual. 
right, that there's this mutual complementing, complementary relationship. That simply means that the male is made in such a way that's unique and different and, and from the female, and the female is made in such a way that's unique and, and different than the male. And they have this, and they complement each other. That means they fit like a beautiful puzzle piece, right? And, and we've got to work, man, to recognize that's not just sexual, okay? That, that is in our whole design of being man and whole design of being women. We've got to work and study one another so that we can figure out what does it look like for me to live out this complementary relationship and experience the mutuality that God is giving. You say, where, you keep saying mutuality. Where are you getting at? Ephesians 5, read it there, okay? Mutuality, eat, it's an each for the other mentality, right? And, and when we embrace that, man, our marriages right? And our families, they thrive, okay? They thrive. Our kids begin to see what this beautiful thing that God has created starting in the very beginning, right? And we embrace that then too. We, we represent Him well. We represent His gospel well. And we have credibility when we speak in the name of Christ to put down the opposition that so often comes against God's intended order of things. But if our homes are a wreck, right, we just don't have much credibility when we, talk, when we try to pick. It just, looks like, it just looks like we're picking and choosing uh, what we want to highlight as God's best when our homes are a mess, Right? And so we don't want to be the picking and choosing type. We want to say, man, if God's word calls me to it, I want to be right underneath it, walking in it, and being able to proclaim just how good it is. And, and it's with that that we close. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask for your help in these things. Our culture and, and our own flesh comes against your design so aggressively. We are quick to, uh, to try to play the role of the potter. We forget that we're just a clay. God, that you're the one that has formed things and, and designed things. God, help us to, to embrace that truth right there in Isaiah. That we are the clay. We want to submit your hands, our, our, our clay. We want to submit ourselves into your hand that you might do with us as you please and so that we can be used to, to, to proclaim your redemptive purposes in Christ, to be your vice regents, to, to be your image bearers that put on display your truth, your design of things so that your gospel may go forward unhindered. God, give us the strength to model the design that you've put in front of us. And give us the wisdom to embrace it for all that it is. In Jesus' name, amen.